Amen. If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. If you're back, welcome back. If you're new, welcome to Laurel Glen. And I especially want to welcome the youth that are here. I'm so glad you guys get to be in here today. And um, it's exciting. I did want to not forget to mention um, Jason and the staff have bought a bunch of these books, um, No Shortcuts to Success, a Manifesto for Modern Missions. Some of my friends at Radius have done the, um, you know, the uh, forward to it or, you know, um, and uh, so it's, I believe, the best book out there today to get your mind wrapped around modern missions. Um, Unfortunately, some of the things that have gone wrong in modern missions that are being pushed by some of the biggest sending agencies and really how to do missions biblically. And so if you want a book that helps you in really layman's terms understand that, really encourage you to get this book. And it would be awesome if everybody at LBC would read this book. Um, so it's at this for sale out there and you can grab it and um, it's, it's amazing. So um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Would you speak to your people by your spirit, through your preacher? Would we um, understand the Great Commission for your glory? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In case you weren't here last hour, we um, briefly pointed out that simply God is a missionary God. That's the very heart of who our God is. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has had a heart, not just for the people of Israel, though certainly that's been a priority, but his heart from the Old Testament to the New Testament, specifically in the person of Jesus, has been to the Gentiles as well. That's just the heart of our God. He helped point out that missions um, is not extra credit, that Our responsibility is to take the gospel to the streets of Bakersfield. Absolutely. This is not, you know, either or. This is not a sermon. This is not a weekend where we're just going to only talk about, you know, the the real missionaries are the ones going to the unreached people groups of the world and, and reaching, planting churches. There are real missions going on all around the world, and I understand that, and I applaud that, and what we do is, as evangelists and as gospel proclaimers here on the streets of Bakersfield is vitally important. It's not either or, it's a both and. We must be faithful here in Bakersfield. And as we'll see from the scriptures, we must also be faithful to take the gospel to the nations. We must be faithful. That is the command of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we do that. And that's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the people that are involved in the missions team. This is for the whole church. And I hope that you understand what a blessing it is to be a part of a church like LBC who understands this, would take a Sunday to just talk about this, to have banners out there with many, if not all, of the unreached people groups of the world and ask you to go pray over them who are devoting funds to send missionaries like these guys, like Nathan and Shannon, 
uh, in our Southeast Asia to go plant churches amongst the unreached people groups. This is not extra credit. This is not just, hey, if we have any money left over, if we have any time left over, let's go do that. This is a absolutely both and. Can I prove it to you if I can through the Great Commission? One of the other important things that I pointed out in the first service was that Jesus's mission while he was on the earth was most certainly to live a perfect life, die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins, be buried, rise from the dead, gaining victory over sin and death, ascend to heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father, and is now awaiting his glorious return. That is absolutely a significant part of the mission of Jesus, no doubt about it. But I pointed out in the first service that if we just leave it at that, if we just sort of think that at the ascension of Jesus, the mission is over, we lose out on a huge, important part of the mission of Jesus. A huge part of what Jesus was trying to do while he was on earth is instill within his disciples, not just those 12, but the 120 and the 500, a, an intense desire to understand the gospel and to proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem where they were or in streets of where they lived and to the nations. He instilled that with them. And LBC, we are proof that they got it, are we not? The fact that you are sitting here today is proof that they got it, that they understood their responsibility was to pass the baton. Somebody in the church of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost understood that. And they went and planted churches throughout Asia Minor. And somewhere it went to other parts of Europe. And somewhere it got on a ship over here to the New World. And somewhere it got all the way out here to the outskirts of California in the garden spot of the world, Bakersfield. And somebody years ago planted a wonderful church called Laurel Glen Bible Church. And you and I get to be the recipients of the blessing of that. But we do understand, do we not, that it can't stop with us. It has been said that Christianity is one generation away from extinction. Now that will never happen because Jesus promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. God is sovereign. The church will grow. But from a human standpoint, you understand what we're talking about. There's just one generation from extinction. Meaning, if we say nothing, and we don't plant other churches, and we don't go to the unreached people groups of the world, or plant churches here in Bakersfield, if we do nothing, if these young people say nothing to their peers, if we say nothing to our peers and our friends, the church will die. It will end. It is So important that we understand this, that we are in a long line of brothers and sisters, of saints who have gone before us. And it is vital that unless Jesus comes in our lifetime, we carry on this grand tradition, this grand challenge of proclaiming the gospel here and in the hardest places in the world, like South Sudan and where Nathan and Shannon are, and in that 1040 window. All the easy places have been taken. The hardest places are still out there, and it will take great sacrifice, and it will take a long time 
to learn those languages and learn that culture and learn those. If you hear people talking about planning X amount of churches in two months, that's not happening. It takes a long time. So let's look at the Great Commission here. Let me just first point out that Jesus's commission is in each of the Gospels and in the book of Acts. You think that might be important? Then each of the Gospels, the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and of course Luke writes Acts as well, communicate this commission for us that it is important that we be Gospel proclaimers. We see in the Gospel of Mark 16, he said to them, Jesus said to them, go into all the what? World. Go all throughout all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In Luke, and I read this in the last passage, this is Jesus talking to the two men on the road to Emmaus. He said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to where? All the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. In John 20, Jesus said to his 12 disciples again in the upper room, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We pointed out in the last service that Jesus had a heart for the people of Israel and also for the Gentiles. And Jesus then communicates to those 12, As the Father has sent me, to the Jews and to the Gentiles, so I'm sending you. You are sent ones. You are followers of mine. And then, of course, right before Jesus' ascension, almost literally the last words of Jesus, before he ascended to the right hand of his Father, he says these words to his disciples and to those followers who were there watching him be ascended. These Ear. These are the words Jesus wants ringing in our ears. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Please recognize that witnesses in the Bible are almost never eyewitnesses. We're not just supposed to go look around. Witnesses in the Bible are verbal witnesses. You take the stand and give a witness in a black church. Can I have a witness, right? Witnesses are verbal witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. You shall be my verbal gospel proclaimers. Where? In Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Partly because it was strategic. Partly because that's where they were. Start where you are and let it be a strategic place. That you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And where does it end? The ends of the earth. When you get to the ends of the earth, then your job is done. Have we gone to the ends of the earth yet? Not yet. And all these, of course, have something in common. We'll see that in just a minute. But all of them sort of culminate in the first gospel and what is rightly referred to as the Great Commission. You've heard it before. I pray, I've been praying that you will hear it afresh today. Sometimes it, it's to our detriment that we hear this too many times and we can just sort of let it go in one ear and out the other. I pray that we'll not let that happen today. Hear afresh, beloved, from the words of our Savior today. 
He tells us in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. First, do you see anything unique in this commission that is not in the other commissions? What's different about this commission? What is said in this commission that's not said in any of the others? The end goal is communicated to us in this commission. The end goal. What's the end goal? Make disciples. The goal of gospel proclamation, gospel proclamation is making disciples. We're not just to proclaim the gospel just to make converts. We're to make disciples. Where do those disciples gather in a church? Where they hear the preaching of the word on a regular basis. They sing and worship. Where they're gathered under biblical elders. Where they gather together for community. Jesus commands us to make disciples. The end goal of the proclamation to the Gentile world or to the nations is to make disciples. In a very real way, this is the definitive commission for us and for the church. Let's look at this great commission by just simply looking at four alls, if you will, the four alls of the great commission. We'll begin in verse 18. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in the heaven and on earth has been given to me. I suppose it's fair to think, hey, a lot of people make claims that they can't back up. That's quite a claim, is it not? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not most authority, not almost all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth not will be given to me, says Jesus, but has been given to me. Certainly we'll see a greater manifestation of that in the future, but Jesus proclaims all authority right now in heaven and earth has been given to me. If you keep your finger in Matthew 28, if you would open your Bible to Revelation 5, can I show you just a hint of what's coming? A hint of the authority that Jesus is proclaiming here when he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Revelation 5, look at verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written on and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one was able in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I, John, is referring to himself here. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. For behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who's that? Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. That's an interesting phrase, is it not? The root of David. Don't roots come before the plant? 
Jesus come after David or before David? Yep. He comes after David as a human being, right? He comes in the lineage of David. But because he's God, he comes as the uncreated one. He comes before David. He's the root of David, and he's the branch of David. But to, and, who, and has conquered. Interesting. He's the tri- lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and is conquered. How did he conquer? He hasn't conquered the world yet by a sword. He conquered by dying on the cross. He conquered by raising from the dead and gaining victory over sin and death, the two greatest enemies we could never hope to defeat on our own. He has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders, I saw a lamb standing. For now on in the book of Revelation, Jesus will not be referred to as the lion anymore. He will now always be referred to as the lamb. And notice, beloved, not just any lamb, but lamb standing as though it had been what? Slain. What does a slain lamb look like? Minimally, it has to be a bloody lamb. What else would it look like? It can't be a cute little fluffy white lamb. This is a slain lamb. The lion of the tribe of Judah and a slain lamb. What a perfect picture of who Jesus is. Perfect in power and perfect in sacrifice. And it goes on and talks about the elders falling down before the lamb. He told in a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying to this lamb, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people. Listen, where did he ransom people from? Every tribe and every language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I looked and I heard the, around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and under the sea and all that is in them saying to him, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. When Jesus proclaims all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me, he's not joking, is he? All the elders in heaven fall down and worship him. They proclaim that you are a lamb who has been slain, who has ransomed a people from where? Everywhere. Won't it be amazing that in our lifetime, unless Jesus returns, in our lifetime, as a part of LBC, we can send out people in all the places of the world to plant churches and win people among some of those unreached people groups out there. And when we stand there on this day, you might be standing next to somebody from a tribe, from a people group you've never heard about, but maybe you just prayed for, and they're standing next to you on that day, worshiping the Lamb, because you had a part of it. What a privilege. 
was John Piper, who dramatically said, you're either a goer, you're a sender, or you're disobedient. You go, or you send, or you're disobedient. Beloved, not all of us can go. All of us can send. Maybe you got to go, but we can send in some way. That doesn't mean you have to fork over a ton of money, but you can pray. You can help. You can loan them a car when they need it or loan them some clothes or loan them some food or somehow be a sender. Hold this end of the rope because they're on the other end of the rope. But the love of God, don't be disobedient to the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and Jesus in that name sends, so I'm sending you. We'll get there in just a minute. Think that makes a difference? In whose name we go out? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, you are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are a bunch of nobodies. We're a bunch of chuckleheads, aren't we? We don't go out as just as a bunch of chuckleheads. We go out in the authority of the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. That makes a difference. First off, all authority has been given to me. Secondly, all peoples are to be discipled. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations. You've heard it said probably already, there is one verb in the Great Commission. There is one imperative command in the Great Commission. And that is what? Make disciples make disciples. One imperative, one command in the, in the Greek, in the Great Commission, make disciples. That would tell us something about what Jesus is talking about, isn't it? You've also heard it said that there are three participles in the Great Commission. Participles are easy for us in English because they almost always end in I-N-G. What are the three participles in the Great Commission? Baptizing, teaching, where's the third one? See it anywhere? Another I-N-G word in there? Maybe you, you know where it is. It's the first word, go. But, but wait a minute. In my Bible, it says go, and therefore, and make disciples. It doesn't say going. Any of your translations say going? There's not one translation in the world that says going. Maybe you've heard it preached that it, it's a participle. It should say going, or as you're going, or while you're going. No, it, it doesn't mean that, and it's not supposed to say that, and in no Bible does it say that. The ESV, it doesn't say that. The NIV, it doesn't say that. New American Standard doesn't say that. King Jimmy doesn't say that. It doesn't say it in any of them. It says go. Why? 30 seconds of technicality. If you're interested, listen. If you're not, get your shopping list for 30 seconds. Here's why. Why? Is the word a participle, but why is it translated go? For this reason. In the Greek, when a participle precedes an imperative verb, like it does here, go, precedes, make disciples, the participle takes on the force of the command. It becomes in itself, really, 
a command. Jesus said it that way. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote it that way. It's not while you're going, how you think about going. When a participle precedes an imperative verb in the Greek, it takes on the force of that command. It becomes in itself a command. Jesus is not just suggesting that we go. He is commanding that we go. Beloved, not just pastors are to go, not just elders are to go, not just people that are super saints are to go. This command is for all of us, as I just came from Texas a while ago, is for all y'all. All y'all are to go. And it doesn't mean how young you are or how old you are, because I'm not looking, how old young you are or how old you are, it's for all of us. Go and make disciples. Jesus commands all the peoples are to be discipled. All the peoples are to be discipled. Well, where do we find these people? What is the scope of our mission field? Well, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. In the Greek, ponte te ethne. Ethne is, can you figure out what word we get from ethne in our English? Ethnic. Go to all the people groups of the world, we refer to that today. John Piper rightly said, all of the ethno-linguistic peoples, all of the ethno-linguistic peoples, those people with their own language, their own culture, own worldview that is different from others. Jesus is not talking about just borders on a map. Just go to South Sudan and reach somebody in South Sudan and then you're done. Don't just go to Romania and reach somebody in Romania and then check off the box. My son and daughter-in-law are getting ready to go to Papua New Guinea in August. I said in the first service, way easier sending everybody else's kids and grandkids. More difficult sending my own. I'm glad they listened, but it's hard. Just take Papua New Guinea. For as an example, little tiny island in the South Pacific. We, Jesus just say, just go reach somebody. Plant one church in Papua New Guinea and then check off that box. Is that what Jesus meant? By ponte te ethne, all the nations, all the ethno-linguistic people groups? You know, there are some 80 people groups who have been reached in Papua New Guinea in our history. You know how many are left? You know how many unreached people groups on that one little island are still left? 700. 700 unreached people groups just in Papua New Guinea. They don't speak any other language. They have totally different worldviews. They have totally different religions. They have totally different mindset. So guess what? We're not done there yet, are we? We've got to send 700 more teams just to Papua New Guinea. How many people are in South Sudan, are in Romania, are in Chad, are in the nations of the world? Jesus asks us to go there and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all the peoples. We are to go with all authority, and we are to go to all the peoples. Love it. I hope you grasp that. 
of course we are to go to the, speak to Bakersfield. But going to all the peoples of the world, I'll say it one last time, is not extra credit. It's not like if we have time or extra money, let's think about that. This is, did I read this wrong? Is this not the command of Jesus himself? Go and make disciples of all the ethno-linguistic people groups of the world. What are we to do with them when we find them, when we proclaim the gospel? Thirdly, all that Jesus commanded is to be taught. All that Jesus commanded is to be taught. Baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Baptism, identifying with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in that profound word picture, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a public proclamation that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. It's never supposed to be in private. And people call me as a pastor over the last 38 years, can you just come over to my house because I'm shy. I just want you to baptize me in my pool, like just the private thing. No. Baptism is never supposed to be private. It's supposed to be a public proclamation. You uncover the floor over there and in front of the whole church, people proclaim that they are followers of Jesus Christ. That's easy for us. And you think about some of the dangerous places in the world, you get baptized, your neck is on the line, literally. I want you to baptize them. I want them to publicly identify themselves as a follower of mine. And then I want you to teach them all that I've commanded. How do you do that in a few months? That takes years. It takes a lifetime. You're still learning. I'm still learning, right? Teach them all that Jesus commanded. Certainly it necessitates that you and I've got to know what Jesus commanded before we teach somebody else. That's why we think training is important, an internship here or or sending them to Radius, or sending them to Ethnos 360, or send them somewhere where they can get some training, not $50 and a plane ticket. Have fun. Really? That's how missions has been done for most of the church's history. But then you wonder why they fail over there? Wouldn't do that here. Why, why, why is it somehow different over there? We need to train our missionaries. We need to make sure that they know their Bible. We need to make sure they know their theology. We need to make sure they know their missiology. Make sure they know how to do that. So we send them out, teaching them to obey. Because the outcome is this, that these movements of Christ obeying, God-glorying communities in the midst of all, everyone, in the midst of all the people groups. That's the goal that there would be a church of God, Christ, worshiping people amongst all the unreached people groups of the world. John Piper rightly said, missions exist because worship doesn't. They're worshiping somebody. They're not worshiping the one true and living God. So missions exist because worship doesn't. All authority, all peoples are to be discipled. We're going to teach them all the things that Jesus taught us. And lastly, 
all the days Jesus is to be with us. Notice Jesus said first, Jesus said, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Beloved, this is a relational affair. This is not general Jesus saying, I'm sitting back here, you know, in headquarters. Y'all go get him. Have fun out there. Be safe. In a very real way, Jesus is saying, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the day of my return, I am with you. I am in the trenches with you. Beloved, that's important for you and me. Because it's scary for us to communicate the gospel to our family, is it not? That's important and scary for us as we communicate the gospel to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our friends, is it not? But no, Jesus is with us. How much more scary is it for those people who have gone over there? How important is it then for no, when they're lonely over there, all of us, get a get-together and have burritos in between church, and they're over there in a jungle or in a desert or in some desolate place all alone, how important is it for them to know Jesus is with them? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you to the end of the age. They need to know that. Beloved, how amazing it is for them to know that you, as a church body, are praying for them, that you got them, that you're holding your end of the rope for them. Stephen Hawthorne, who said about this phrase, he said, he has just commissioned them to go to the most distant place of the planet. He was not sending them away from him. He was actually beckoning them to come nearer to him than they had ever been. He was not merely passing on some of his power. That that might have been the case if he was announcing his departure. Instead, he declared that he was on the planet to stay, wielding every ounce of his authority until the end of days. He himself would be with them every single day until the end of the age. Bottom line, beloved. We are to be goers. Some of you need to listen to the words of Jesus and go. Young people, some of you might be the goers. Some of you might sit here today and say, you know what? It's the first time I really heard about God's heart for the nations. I can do that. When my son was 14, when he first heard this and said, I need to do that. Some of you are young enough here that you can go. You can pick one of those groups out there and go. All of us can send in some way. May none of us be disobedient to the Great Commission. Can I read for you one letter from a tribe in Papua New Guinea? There are, I have dozens of them, but dozens of tribes in Papua, just in Papua New Guinea, not to mention the rest of the world, writing to sending agencies, mission sending agencies, begging for missionaries. We're not going in there and intruding. They're begging for missionaries to come. Not because we missionaries bring them stuff. They don't bring them stuff. They shouldn't bring them stuff. They can bring medical supplies. They're not bringing them Trinkets. Listen to the words of 
one letter in closing. A letter from the Asahu people in Papua New Guinea. Yes, I'm writing because I have something with you ones. I have a big worry that I am not sure what will happen when death comes. I've heard from other tribes that the mission of New Tribes Mission, now Ethnos, that they now know, and I am sorry for myself that I do not know. I worry for my life and for my tribe. So I'm asking you that you will send missionaries to my village too. The men and women of Asahu village, we are very hungry for this talk that it will be in our bellies. Please have pity on us and all other places of the ground. We have heard that they have the talk of God, but us ones of Asahu are still standing without. We have nothing. I've heard of others hearing this talk in other villages, but this talk is not in Asahu yet. So please send someone to learn our talk, our language. It is not hard. And talk us, tell us, teach us this talk so we can know it too. Please have pity in our lives. We do not know what will become of us when death is on us. So I'm asking with a big, strong ask that you will come and teach us of this talk. This is the road that I have heard will be heard. This is why I've sent this letter to you, boss men of New Tribes Missions. Our language is not hard here in Asahu. Please come. Good morning to you ones. I am Aben Awahi of Asahu Village. He's been sending letters for the last 18 years. He's not alone. Task is out there. Task, beloved, is finishable if we get serious about this. God bless you as a church and God bless you as a people. May we be faithful to accomplish what our God has for us and what our Savior has for us, for his glory and his glory alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and love you for your word. Would we be found faithful to proclaim your word here on the streets of Bakersfield and to the nations, that Christ might be worshiped, that people might be saved, and people might spend eternity with us in heaven. Lord, raise up people from within this church who will go. Raise up people who will send and hold our end of the rope for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.